Hello, and a very good day to you. My name is Jim Harris, and this is Heritage Bible Radio. Heritage Bible Radio is an extension of Heritage Bible Church in Boise, where it's my joy to serve as the teaching pastor. Every day, we devote our radio time to studying a portion of the Word of God so you can know Him better through Jesus Christ and serve Him better through your local church. This week on Heritage Bible Radio, we have reached Mark's account of Jesus on the cross in the middle of chapter 15. To assure that we have time this week for the entire message, we're going to jump right into today's slice of the sermon, succinctly titled, The Crucifixion. Now, you'll hear some rather fanciful interpretations of what it means that Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You've got the, um, the word faith, false teachers. They say that Jesus, when he was crucified, he went to hell and suffered there and then returned to rise from the dead as the first born-again man. That's commonly taught in many circles these days, and that's part of a false gospel. There are others that say that during that time, Jesus and the Father were severed from one another, and their fellowship was broken because the Father abandoned Him when He took on sin. Well, there's an ontological and theological impossibility with that. That violates everything else the Scripture reveals to us about the, the nature of God and the eternal existence of, of, um, of three persons. Understand that he quoted Psalm 22, and when he quoted Psalm 22, go look at all of Psalm 22, and that's all about God's presence with the person who feels abandoned in the midst of that suffering. Jesus was identifying with the words of Psalm uh, 22. He was not separated from the Father. God was very present there. It was God's darkness. It was God's wrath. God the Father was there doing all of that. There's also the silly teaching of the Gnostics, the group that was the first sort of codified pseudo-Christian heresy in the early church. They say that the Christ Spirit came upon the man Jesus at his baptism, and then it left him just before the, the crucifixion. So that really was Jesus crying out because, well, he had now lost the, the, the Christ Spirit. That's also heretical. There are theories all over the place, and, and to be sure, I admit there's some mystery involved because nowhere in the Bible is it fully explained, but but we can say this, Jesus was not abandoned. The Father didn't turn away from Him. He did not cease to be God. He was pouring out His heart, having just experienced the wrath of the Father against sin. God is with the righteous one through His suffering. That's the message of, of Psalm 22. He was expressing the agony agony of enduring the wrath of the Father against all sin. And you know, every other time that we have in the Gospels where Jesus um, speaks to the Father, He calls Him Father, or even Abba, Father. This is the only time He calls Him anything else. He, he drops the familial name, and, and He says, My God. And by repeating, My God, My God, Read it with affection. 
He's expressing his profound affection for the Father and his, and his longing to be with him. Like, like Hebrews says that he in, in, endured the cross looking forward to what was coming after that. And in the midst of that, my God, my God, what unspeakable agony. Feeling separated from him who, with whom he'd spent eternity from creation to that moment. He was bearing the wrath of sin, and oh, it hurt. Father never left him. He visited that place that day in massive judgment. But for those moments, you could say this, the father's comfort was not available to his son. Oh, it would come, but not in that moment. Now, look what happened. There's a great contrast here between what happened among the people watching and what transpired between the, the father and the son. Go down to verse 35 and 36. When some of the bystanders heard it, Eloi, Eloi, sama, uh, uh, lama sabachthani, they began saying, Behold, he's calling for Elijah. Someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed, gave him a drink, saying, Let's see whether Elijah will come to take him down. This is just nothing but more ridicule, more mocking. They weren't trying to comfort Jesus. You see, there were many superstitions and false beliefs about Elijah. Elijah had been made into not only who he is, but kind of a superhero in uh, Jewish mythology. And um, they, One of the things that was said is that they believed that um, Elijah could answer prayers and could personally come to the aid of a righteous person who was in a terrible situation of distress. So when Jesus uttered words that kind of, sort of, maybe sounded a little bit like Elijah, the mockers immediately rekindled their, their mocking. Again, they offer him an analgesic just part of their cruel game, to mock him even more. And remember, this is probably just when God is turning on the sunlight again. Nothing has changed. Nobody seems to have learned anything during that darkness. And now the bystanders are blaspheming again. And that led immediately to the, the final of the things that Jesus said during the crucifixion. Mark describes it this way in 1537. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. Now, we know what he cried out. As he finished bearing the wrath of the Father, the next to last thing he said from the cross, he shouted out one word in Greek, tetelestai. It is finished. What was finished? He'd finished bearing the wrath for sin. And then... That final loud cry was to the Father. And again, he's quoting from the Old Testament. It comes directly from Psalm 31, verse 5. We have that described in Luke 23, 46. And Jesus, crying out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Psalm 31, 5. Having said this, he breathed his last who killed Jesus? Well, the only one you could actually pin it on would be God the Father. 
Jesus laid down his life. The crucifixion didn't kill him. The flogging didn't kill him. He gave his life, having taken on the sins which are all nailed to the cross. At that same moment, a great symbolic event took place. Verse 38, Mark 15. And the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Now, the veil of the temple is what separated the Holy of Holies. That's the little 10 by 10 by 10 uh, cube area in which is the Ark of the Covenant. Only the high priest could ever go behind that veil, that curtain. He only once a year, only after all the prescribed sacrifices, only to sprinkle the blood to um, um, apply the atonement on behalf of all of the people of God. Nobody else could go in there. You remember grand opening day of the tabernacle in the wilderness when... when uh, Aaron, the high priest, went in and he, and he offered the sacrifice and God miraculously sent down fire and consumed the sacrifices in front of all the people and everybody was astounded. And then remember Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, and they thought, oh, that was cool. Our turn. We're going to go in there. Give me some incense. Pull back the curtain and God miraculously sent down fire from heaven and consumed them on the spot and said, I will be treated as holy. No one goes in there except when I allow them in there and make the way for them to go in there. So what does it mean when God takes that veil and he rips it in two? Because of what happened in those hours of darkness on that cross, we can come into the presence of God. This is the turning point day in human history. I would love to have seen the look on the faces of the priests who were busy in the temple the moment that happened. Barney, what's that ripping sound? And they would turn and they would think, surely they thought they were going to be consumed, but they weren't. Because all of those sacrifices that they had made, those countless hundreds of thousands of times, all pointed to Jesus. And he had just made the once for all sacrifice. Oh, but we're not done yet. Something Mark doesn't tell us, Matthew 27 mentions that at that very moment, also, many bodies of Old Testament believers in and around Jerusalem were raised at the moment that Jesus died. And it doesn't tell us much of what they did, except that they appeared on Sunday. We're not told what they did between Friday afternoon and Sunday morning, but after Jesus arose, they went into Jerusalem and they appeared to many people. And we're not told what happened. I, I, I think the most logical conclusion would be that uh, after they appeared to many, that God probably took them directly to heaven. I don't think it would be kind of God to send them back to earth after they'd already been set free. And, and I would just, there's no proof of this, but I would suspect 
that the appearances of those people... If you would like this message on Compact Disc, let me know and we'll send it to you. You'll receive the entire message, not just the portion on today's program. You can order by phone at 353-4036 or by writing to us at 7071 West Emerald, Boise, Idaho, 83704 or on the internet at hbc-boise.org. Heritage Bible Radio needs your prayers and your financial support. Once again, you can reach us online at hbc-boise.org or by telephone at 353-4036 or by writing to us at 7071 West Emerald, Boise, Idaho, 83704. And if you need a church home here in the Treasure Valley, I hope you'll visit us any Sunday at 7071 West Emerald. For Heritage Bible Radio, I'm Jim Harris. See you next time. Bye-bye.